Hello and welcome to the Write Your Life podcast. This is a podcast about writing, reading and publishing, and it's for writers of all kinds and readers of... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, remember this week, you're supposed to say, I'm Ian Brewer, then I've got to say I'm Donna Sorensen. I don't know what happened. I just went into... I've never done that before. No, you just... Tongue was just not ready, not ready for it. Yeah, no, but I've never even tried to describe what it is before. <laughs> what happened? That's it, you're just freestyling. I literally just freestyled, but I freestyled not like Eminem. I freestyled like someone who's bad at rapping. You freestyled your way right out of the podcast. I did. Anyway, I'm Ian Broom. And I'm Donna Sorensen. Toot toot. Whee! So today we're. First time we've introduced it like that, isn't it? It is, and I think it went really well. Oh, it was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Today we're going to be talking about writing and having a job. Or jobs, writing jobs, what, what, what jobs do people have as well as being a writer, all that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, this was sparked by um, an article I read in The Atlantic called, uh, the title was What's the Ideal Day Job for a Poet? Um, and it was, yeah, an interesting article. And there were links out to other really interesting articles because obviously loads of people have written about this um, and it's been considered and discussed for, well, since they've been writers and day jobs. But, um, yeah, it was really uh, just kind of sparking something in my head about the fact that my current job, though I love it, I wonder whether it's stopping me writing a little bit. Um, and that's actually because I'm writing all day. Oh, I see. That's going to be an interesting part of the discussion. That's something that I've thought about quite a lot recently as well, so I'm looking forward to coming on to that. I also talked about this last week, you may or may not remember, when I, when I referred to, um, what did I refer to? I said that um, I've talked regularly about the fact that having a day job is something that's almost essential for most writers, and mm. um, uh, and and there was uh, that's right. Someone I was, someone was kind of asked me, "Oh, what else do you do?" I think I mentioned this on the podcast. Someone says, "Oh, so so do you do something else?" And I kind of thought, um, "Yes, I do. I work nine to five. That's the main thing I do because you know most most authors, most writers." Uh, published or unpublished, um, um, have to have a, a separate job. Uh, but it's quite. I think that, that I think that it, uh, that what that job is is potentially quite an important thing and can is um, wildly different for uh, for different people. Mm, absolutely. Are we going to talk about this now? Are you going to say something else first? Well, I was just going to briefly mention a couple of things. First of all, that um, we're going to dedicate. The last 10 to 15 minutes of this podcast and potentially future podcasts, depending on how this goes, <laughs> podcast episodes. I hate it when people refer to a podcast episode as a podcast. I must not, never do that again. Mm. Um, same with blog posts and blogs. You yeah, know, well, you know I mean, mean, yeah, I can understand the distinction a bit more there, but I, I, I would say I'm just going in to record the podcast. I would never say I'm just going in to record the podcast episode. No, and I think that would be fine. But if you if if you repeatedly refer to uh, if you put if, if you put on Twitter for example um, here's the uh, listen to this l- listen to the latest podcast and you're just linking to an episode you'd have to you'd have to say episode very important oh now I'm now I wonder whether I've done that before anyway probably yeah. oh I'm going to be worrying about that all night now I'm sorry not really I'm not don't worry anyway we're going to dedicate the last ten to fifteen minutes to uh, listener questions. Well, I wish we had a little jingle for that. Well, maybe I'll sort one out. <laughs> oh, my God, I can totally do it. Carry on. 
you're going to do the jingle. Yeah. Okay, I look forward to it. Um, so yes, we're going to we're going to invite. Uh, uh, if you have any questions, anything that you specifically want us to talk about, whether it's related to writing or the writing process or the editing process, whether it's to do with reading, any any topic really to do with reading, or whether it's something to do with the publishing industry or the process of being published or anything in those kinds of areas, uh, then send us your questions. You can email me at ian, I-A-I-N, at writeforyourlife.net or you can um, contact both of us through Twitter at Ian Broom or at The Flying Poet and we shall put them on the list. So we've got a couple of questions for this particular episode so we'll get to those towards the end. And the other thing I wanted to say is that yesterday... I was at the New Generation Self-Publishing Summit in London. And um, and one of the questions that we're going to talk about was one of the questions that was asked of me and the rest of the panel there. And I'm not sure that we gave a very good answer. So I'm going to, I'm going to um, try and expand upon that later. And it's about writer's voice and whether you, how you know when you've found your voice and that kind of thing. Mm, cool. so, um, so that's something to look forward to in about half an hour's time. But before then... Writers and jobs. What's your? What are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I mean, I'd always thought that my ideal would be to get to a place where I had a day job as a writer and then wrote whatever else I wanted to around it. Um, and as I might have mentioned, it writing the kind of writing that I do all day every day. I'm finding that it's it's not encouraging me to come home. I think it's not just necessarily writing, but sitting in front of a computer for for eight hours hang, hang on hang on back up now and give my brother room are you talking about when you say that your dream was about or not dream but that your plan was to have a job as a writer and then do other writing related things around it are you talking about you always envisage that your primary job would be as a poet or as a writer of some kind well yeah you see that's a good question because i just thought you know i just wanted to write and i never really thought about the type of writing so when i got this job that i've got now which i love i would like to say again um writing for somebody and not fiction but just you know writing about stuff online um i thought this is it i'm a writer i'm being paid to write and i'm a writer but you know i'm not a full-time writer writing on my own stuff all day every day which you know must be must have its own um, advantages and disadvantages, obviously. But but before, I'd, I've had many different types of jobs before, and I'd always thought, oh, you know, I've got I've got to be doing something better than this. But now I'm starting to sit and look back and think, actually, those were really cool. In and I've, I I feel like I might have taken inspiration from those jobs, and I see now how vital it it, it is to have tried different things before you end up really writing anything at all. That's interesting. So, you, and, and this is quite a common piece of writing advice: is to, if you're struggling to think of what to write, is just to stop trying to write. This is fiction. So, if you're trying to write fiction of any kind, and you're struggling, is to stop and go and do something, as in go and live a little, go travel, go try a different job, go a different place. Yeah. And are you saying the fact that you are now writing as a job, as a day job, you're you're copywriting basically during the day, that actually? Yeah that's not providing a great deal of inspiration for your poetry, your creative writing. Yeah, exactly. But I'm knackered. I'm, I've got a really busy job, so I don't have any brain space at all to think about it. Whereas 
you know, previous jobs where I've been organizing literary events, you know, I was, that was really energetic and exciting and took up a lot of time. But I would have downtimes where I was going and listening to writers. I was thinking about writing. I, you know, that, that was obviously that kind of job was amazing in terms of inspiration. But I'm also thinking like further back as well. Like, you know, I, I, I once had a job as a tea lady. Where at? It was amazing. It was in a in a massive office building in Newcastle when I was at uni there. I went back up early before the term started to get some temp work. And I was paid to be a tea lady. And we were a team of about seven people. I don't know who I was standing in for. But the others did it as their, like, proper jobs. And we had, like, this little um, staff room. We sat there for eight hours. But twice a day for 15 minutes, we went and we did a tea round on our own floors. What I mean, we, that was the entire job. What were you doing the rest of the time? Sitting around chatting, reading magazines. And it was just, it was just unbelievable. I was like, wow, I can't believe people are paid to do this. And, you know, the people I met there were really, I, it, was, it was all different kinds of people. You know, there was like teenagers there. There were like old women that had been doing it for years and years. And I think back on jobs like that now. And I, I think, you know, this, this is all stuff that you, you kind of store away, don't you, for future use. Well, I mean, absolutely. The eight weeks that I spent in the summer of 2002, I was, believe it or not, I was a lorry driver. (laughs) Did not know that. You didn't know this? No. That's incredible. Um, Well, I should tell you then, I was a, my summer, so I was um, a, a terrible lifeguard for four years from the age of 16 to 20. And then my final year of university, um, after the final year, um, I I went and worked on a on an open cast call site, and I spent there eight weeks. And my the reason I got the job is because my dad worked there. My dad was a lorry driver for uh, for a large part of his life, and then he worked on this this open cast call site as a some sort of foreman type person. So he got me the job, and I said to him, I said to him, I said, you know how you're on about me driving a lorry. And this, by the way, this wasn't like a little truck. This was a 32-ton tipper lorry. It was, you know, a big lorry. And um, I said, you know, this is a lorry that you're on about me driving for this summer job. Do you think I should have some kind of license? <laughs> and um, he said, no, you'll be fine. You go with, um, I don't know, I can't remember his name. But you go, you just go with Steve. He'll show you how to do it. And um, And I had two days with this guy. And I don't think he's going to listen to this podcast, but... Let's just say he was not the sharpest tool in the shed, um, but he could drive a lorry, all right? So he showed me what to do in his own sort of distinctive style, and I drove a lorry for a bit, and then I was given my own lorry and spent the next eight weeks driving up and down in this open-cast coal site. And two things came from that. First of all was a, a short story called The Cowboy, which was the first story that I ever had published, which was basically the retelling of a story that one of the guys in the one of the guys I me mean, we were so close all these, <laughs> all these sort of rough working class guys and me a complete ponce uh, in a vest um, but I used to you know they were, it was it was fine they used to I, I listened I used to listen to their stories which were ludicrous and you never quite knew how much truth was in them but they were sort of brilliantly told with so much ridiculous swearing. And um, and I basically retold that story. It's called The Cowboy. It was the first thing I ever got published. Maybe I'll put it on the internet. It was literally with yeah, swearing. we want to see it. I could, well, I, there's another story. I couldn't quite believe that this was the first thing I ever had published. I submitted two short stories. They were vignettes, only like 
500 words at the most. I submitted two of them. One was this beautiful little tale about my grandma and something that she'd, uh, that she'd told me, uh, uh, and it was as clean as a whistle, lovely little tale. And the other one was this story called The Cowboy, which was littered with swearing and was just a bit of a joke, a bit silly. And, of course, that was the one that got published. So I had to explain to my parents, oh, I've been published, but I'd prefer it if you didn't read it ever, if that's OK. <laughs> um, so that came from that, from that job, um, unexpectedly, just, eight, just an eight-week job. But also... This thing that I've been working on called Aes Rangelica, my entire novel was based on an open, is the setting is an open cast coal mining town, and um, a lot of the research and the detail from uh, in the novel it comes from those eight weeks that I spent there, and and my dad, I guess, helping out with some fine details too. And, and but not I, just not just being there and like having all these things happen around you and storing them up in your brain box, but do you not think that in a job like that that you've also got the brain space to to be storing it up and to be inspired because you're not having to use your brain so much throughout the day well possibly do you mean like uh, we should all go and all writers should go and do some sort of manual labor is that what you're suggesting the the other great article which the article in the atlantic linked to we can put all this in the show notes can't we um was uh on the millions website called the millions and that's exactly what people have been saying on that like they've been you know authors have been talking about their perfect jobs or what they think authors should do and yeah you know somebody was saying that they really think that actually they need jobs where they've got enough of their brain free that they can think all day about the book they're going to write later because it's all well and good like saying, oh, you know, I've got half an hour, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to get into this world and write. But wouldn't it be better if you were just sitting there like making cups of tea for people all day and just dreaming about that world, that writing world and your characters and preparing for it? Now, this is what I'm starting to think now. Okay, here's here's what I think. In principle, that sounds like a very... Uh, let's say that's a good idea that um, you effectively you take on a job that is less strenuous mentally potentially manual labor potentially driving a lorry so that your brain is able to focus on other things like your the novel that you want to write and then in the evening you're really mentally fresh and ready to go with all these ideas that sounds like a good idea but think of all the people that don't get published think of the people that do get published including myself who who is a, a billion miles away from it being my full-time job in any way whatsoever and 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 that's the reality so that's most people so what you're essentially saying is that all these people should actually just be lorry drivers and tea ladies who have a who have a, 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 a who, who basically are giving up any kind of well-paid career in order to have a fancy hobby because hmm. we're not all going to get i mean as, as a piece of writing advice get a worse paid and slightly mind-numbing job is i'm not sure it's a brilliant one <laughs> no no well the way you put it like that no <laughs> but and also saying you know that writing is a hobby like that um maybe that's 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 what i need to just focus on here is it a hobby just because you're not earning enough money for it to be your job if if you feel like it's your reason for getting up every day well, not, not, not the reason for getting up every day. That's ridiculous, you know. I mean, dude, the podcast is my reason for getting up every day. Good. Really. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I would like to, when I go out of this world, have, have, I feel like I want to have created something or I want to have been on a path towards something. And for me, I think that writing is that path. So when you say that it's just a hobby, I mean, I'm never going to be rich and famous from it. 
But uh, to me, it feels like a little bit more than a hobby. And, and of course, it does to me. It does to me too. So th- I think this is the distinction that not just people in our position who've been published, but also people who are trying to get published who are listening to this, or even just starting out the, their writing journey. I, I totally with you. I also feel, and you know this. Obviously, I also feel like it's my my writing is more than just a hobby. And of course, I have got paid for writing Ace Frangelica. Got published. I had an advance, and and um, it's now been paid off. Woo! And and royalties will have come in at some point. Nice. But I, I repeat again, it's a million miles away. It could not be much further away at all from from being in any way a job. Mm, and yeah, so, absolutely. And that would be the case for, I don't know, 99% of people uh, who uh, who are listening. Now, this is this is like kind of a bit sad, really. <laughs> but I think this is the harsh reality and people do need to understand it. And we'll come back to a positive. But that, that's kind of the reality of it. And so whilst we do look at it as... Um, as a lot more than a hobby, and it is. It's, it's and in some ways, you could say that we're professionals because we've been we've, we have been paid in some way in order to write this this fiction. Um, but but if it's not your job, if you if you actually still have a full time job, is it not just in some ways a glorified hobby? And that's something that I think all people have to wrestle with. I mean, I think about myself now in my in my position when I wrote A's for Angelica. I was in a, uh, you know, I was I was younger. I was um, um, uh, not married, didn't have children, didn't have a mortgage, and so you would think oh, that's all marvelous. You can kind of you can be more, you can be uh, more risk averse. No, that's wrong, isn't it? You can be more risky. <laughs> mm, yeah. um, but but now, if if I in if if you know basically if I if if I was. If I had a business manager and they they came to me, they would say, "What earth are you doing trying to write fiction? Because you're not because it's this is not your job. This is this is just a hobby. You don't earn anything like enough money, and you never will. So why bother? That's what a business minded person would do. But to come back to a positive, and this is why I still carry on. And even now I've got kids, and it's going to be more difficult to write a second novel, all that kind of thing. I still carry on, and I think you still carry on, and I suspect most people listening still carry on, is because. As you say, there's more to it than that. There's always more to writing fiction. If ev- if everyone was writing fiction because they wanted it to be their full time job and that was the only real goal, then no one would do it, or a very very sort of small amount of people would do it. And those people tend to be successful self publishers, and that is not meant in any way as a slight. But some self uh, people who self publish who are very successful tend to be tend to be people who were very very focused on saying, right, this is not me writing a book this is me setting up a business effectively um and i don't really quite have that mindset and perhaps i should have more of one but you know the reality is if if someone was like i say someone business-minded came and looked at what we were doing they'd say we were absolutely mad (laughs) nutters yeah i know i know but um and i'm not suggesting that everybody should go out and become a tea lady in an office building heaven forbid but i do think that I had this idealised kind of path. And I'm just questioning, that's all. I mean, it's, I think it's healthy. I really, now, I'm wondering if I, not that it's going to happen, but say I was to just become massively famous from writing something and then 
turned into a full-time writer where you know it's not it's not nine to five but it's it would be kind of all the time that you felt that you were writing I wonder whether that would free up my creativity or whether actually I would find that really really terrifying and nerve-wracking and actually you know too much responsibility I don't know. It's a tricky one. I mean, I've I've talked before, I think, at length how the, how being a writer during the day. So I think it's fair to probably probably fair to assume that most people who write fiction aren't either copywriters or journalists or or some other kind of writer um, who who does it for you know for money. It's their job. I think most people probably aren't. I think maybe we are in a minority. The fact that we've both got jobs where we write during the day. Although to be yeah. honest, my current job, I don't. I don't do a great deal of writing or copywriting, to be honest, at the moment. However, I still would say that that's what I am. I am. I would still say that I am a copywriter because that's what I did most for years. But yeah. I, I, I found that, and I've said this before, I found that my by writing during the day, it improved my fiction quite a lot. I, I was able to um, learn how to edit, so I was learning plain English. I thought would have a negative effect on my fiction. I thought that the fact that I was being made to use, not made, well, I was, I suppose, because I had a a boss and stuff, but my job was to simplify um, uh, pieces of text for as broad an audience as possible. I thought, well, that's bound to affect my creativity. But it didn't. It taught me how to edit properly, and I was able to transfer that experience into into, uh, better fiction, basically. So it doesn't necessarily work work that way but there is something i think there is something about the physical act of being sat at a computer which most people are so people aren't writers i bet there are an awful lot of people who are i don't know accountants or something who are literally sat at a computer all day very difficult to do that and then go home and sit in front of a computer again yeah i i guess that's that's the biggie that's the big thing but then writing you know writing during the day and then writing at home i mean it's still it is just more writing and I really want to be able to disassociate the day writing that I'm doing from, I want to feel, I want to make sure that I maintain that enjoyment of sitting down to write when I've had to force myself to sit down and write for so many hours already. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, but yes, I absolutely, absolutely know what you mean. And when I was, but it's, it's just what we have to do, isn't it? It's just, we have, this is the, this is the whole thing about it, about it being, about writing fiction as essentially being, a glorified hobby for for most of us. Uh, I wrote most of my first novel, um, and this is why it's more difficult for me to write the second one at the moment. Is because I wrote most of the first one between the hours of you know I get home from work, have something to eat, between the hours of eight and two in the morning. You know, it is another job effectively, but you but you're not being paid for it yet, I suppose. And and you've already had seven hours, eight hours in front of the computer. It's tough. It is tough. It is tough. I think another thing to consider in this whole equation is if you if you are in front of a computer, you know, whatever you're doing, you know, you've probably got the opportunity to to gather ideas or, or you know, hear things and read things that might you might be able to use in your writing. Like you said as well, in terms of, you know, copywriting, it's been really helpful to be able to hone your skills, get, you know, all good at that kind of side of it. But I think also there's a lot to be said for for jobs where you're out and about meeting people don't you think so that that's that's a whole nother side which i think if it's fine that i'm not doing it now i'm very very glad that i did that before because that to me is like really where things happen 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds like perhaps we have slightly different copywriting jobs. It sounds like you perhaps don't get out get out much. I was <laughs> sorry. I was I, in my job. I was out meeting clients, you know, uh, and I would do you know UX and UI stuff, wireframing, content strategy, various other things, as well as just sitting down and actually writing. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm not. I'm not just writing, but I am definitely not going out and meeting like a wide variety of people as I used to in other jobs. That's for sure. Um, but as I said, like, I'm really, really happy with that side of it, but I can just really, really associate with people who say that they, you know, they find it really, really difficult to carry on writing at nights. So I'm just not doing it at the moment. That's what's basically happening. I'm just not writing. Well, it's, it's extremely, I think we, you know, you can be forgiven. You have a very young Beautiful little baby in the house as well. These things are not easy. Yeah, no, absolutely. But have you had any other jobs that you think have inspired your writing? You've got lorry drivers so far. You must have picked yeah. stuff up as a lifeguard, surely. Yeah, lots of stuff. And I don't mean diseases from the pool. <laughs> well, I'm, it, it, it's difficult to ask people because podcasts by podcast episodes and podcasts by their very nature are a delayed experience but if you don't mind i'll get slightly bawdy for a second <laughs> i haven't my experience of being a lifeguard i've often and ba- working in a leisure center and i used to run the play scheme for the kids so that was how i sort of got into it and um that had did lead to some you know in- incredible bizarre experiences but at the time i wasn't really doing an awful lot of i, did, I certainly wasn't writing much fiction that was kind of like you know rubbish teenage poetry and um, and and song lyrics, so I actually included some of those experience in um, song lyrics. And there used to be this guy, and this is where it gets a bit unpleasant. When I was a lifeguard, there was this guy who used to come in, and he was a postman, and he would come in on a Saturday morning. And on a Saturday morning is, of course, when all the kids with their mums and young families and all that kind of thing are in the pool, very busy. And this guy who was um, uh, um, I don't know how we knew he was a postman, but apparently he was quite short. He had long hair just just sort of down to his uh, between his shoulders and I guess the bottom of his ears and he was very thin and quite short and um had a, I remember he had a, like a crooked nose and he and and he were he wore tight black speedos of course and what course, he used to yeah. do what he used to do Donna was um <laughs> he would he would get in and he would do lengths for about half an hour and you could see him and he used to swim underwater for, for much of it, well, he used to, I guess he used to swim like you know properly, like people swim where they look down and you look down and then take a breath and all you know swimming. I think it's called. And um, but he used to take his breath and look to the side whenever he went past um, uh, a woman, <laughs> to be frank. And occasionally, perhaps without wanting to make any accusations, some of the kids. Oh. And it was. It was one of those things where you know that he technically he hasn't done anything you can possibly really prove. And I was a kid. I mean, I was only 16 or 17 and all that kind of thing. And it, But it was always a bit awkward and we used to make jokes about it. Anyway, he was the inspiration for a song called um, Same Time Next Week. <laughs> and... And I, I, I was, um, I was, my song lyrics. I couldn't, I couldn't write a serious song. Every single song I wrote used to have stupid jokes in them, or just <laughs> stupid. I just couldn't help myself. I don't know why. And it started. Um, he wakes at five a.m., walks the streets until ten. Postman 
with his bulging bag of gifts for young and old. <laughs> Always wet on entry. Oh, Sli- slides in at the deep end. Oh. Those goggles cover eyes that should be blind. <laughs> oh, wow. He does. Butterfly. Front crawl. <laughs> eyes them up beside the wall. He does. Backstroke. Side stroke. Let him drown and let him choke. Oh, my God. And how old were you when you wrote this? 36. <laughs> Stop it. Um, I would have been... 17, 18. It was pretty hard-hitting stuff. I think Morrissey got in touch once to say how impressed he was. <laughs> that really is, yeah. But uh, very evocative, though. I, I'm imagining myself uh, swimming past that, that guy and um, not enjoying it. Yeah, so that so it has inspired me to write, but I would not say that it is or was my best work. I'll see see if I can find I may even have a recording of that song which would be very embarrassing because I was not a good singer but if I can find it I will put it on the internet for people to listen to Awesome Um, and can I just say that I really wanted to to talk today about how interesting it would be to to think about what different jobs have given us for our writing and I didn't mean to just moan about my current job which just totally happened it's all right we've got five minutes what we've got we've got between between zero and five minutes so what 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 specifically is there anything else that you want to cover about writing in jobs no (laughs) (laughs) no i just wanted to say i didn't mean to be just a complete total moaner well i mean and i've moaned a little bit i think but i think i think it's just it's well here's here's the takeaways the reality i think is that most and i think i think most new writers know this by now but most writers who are published also have another job whether it's a full-time job like me and you or whether it's a part-time job uh whatever it may be most writers have to do something else it's just that's the way of the world and it kind of always has been i think but certainly now um and but you can if you want to be a writer full stop which is i think what you were saying you wanted to do in the position that we're both in um and whether it's so that you're writing in some form or other in order to support your creative writing, that can have both positive and negative um, effects. You can be sick to death of a keyboard by the end of the day, but at the same time, it's all practice and can all help you improve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't call it a summary. (laughs) For nothing. Yeah, no, that's great. Summed up lovely. So we've got time for... uh... Listeners' questions. I was going to do a jingle, like a completely spontaneous one, like, listeners' questions. <laughs> That's, I, that, that was, I, I hesitate to say this, but that was surprisingly good, and that is what it is from now on. <laughs> awesome. I'm not sure I'll be able to remember the notes. Where did you get the xylophone from first? <laughs> I, I just always got one in my pocket ready to go it's, it was over in the other corner of the room I just realised it when I said about a jingle and I was like I can actually do a jingle because I've been training myself to do In the Night Garden and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star well, uh, you can see the audience the kind of audience I've, I've got at the moment let's, but have, then, yeah. let's have some Twinkle Twinkle Little Star oh no don't I of do course. the not, no of I'm course. not under the pressure we've got sorry we've got about 10 minutes left yeah We've got, we've got to do the listeners' que- listeners questions. See? <laughs> it's very, very hard to recreate the first one. Uh, OK, how do you know that you found your voice? So this was um, a question asked to me and the rest of the panel at the um, New Generation Publishing, Self-Publishing Summit 2013, yesterday. And I, we, we, on the 
there was a really interesting, good panel with some really good authors who I met for the first time and hopefully will keep in touch with via the internet. But I don't, I don't think we really quite covered that question as well as we could have done. So um, how do you know you found your, your voice? And this was asked by a, a wonderful chap called Dan Holloway who gave a shout-out to the podcast. And if he's listening, and I hope he is, a shout-out right back to you, a link in the show notes. Nice. Uh, it's always nice to meet people... Um, in real life who you've sort of known on the internet for a little while and that happened so that's lovely totally is it reminds me of that time when everyone was shouting out steve do you remember from the old um, adam and joe of course steven steven that was it not steve god oh dear i look forward to meeting my um postman friend at some point yeah oh dear um you know it's a really good question and from my perspective i am I mean, you know, I have a collection published now and I can see that I very much have a certain style in this collection. I'm going to be very interested to see if that's how much of that is carried over to the next stuff that I write and the second potential collection. Because with poetry, I feel like it's all really tied up to the subject matter as well, you know, and um, and I'm, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to write about yet. So are you saying that you think your voice might change? I think it inevitably will. And, you know, I, I know that a lot of poets have done that through their lifetime. You know, they've, they've started on one thing and, and finished up with something else. I, and actually, a poem in my collection is about the, the poet HD, um, who was one of the, you know, writing imagist poems and um, really, really tight language, really, really, you know, visual and descriptive. But then as she got older, she started to write more and more about people and relationships and, you know, children that she'd lost and really like deep things like that. And I find that fascinating, like the transition through her life of what she was writing about. And I'm, I think that that poet, that's what happens. Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty good point, actually. I think that writers do, you can see it, can't you, in, in, um, in, in authors who've had a reasonably substantial career. You can see how their voice has developed and changed, subject matter changes. But the best ones still manage to make the writing essentially them which i guess is i don't know if you can say like a core voice that's a, probably a silly phrase but you can still sense that something is written by someone even though their voice might have developed and moved on and 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 kind of adapted and changed and that kind of thing over the course of several books yeah but then think about think about jk rowling with her latest publicity stunt and the fact that nobody knew it was her and you know is is that really the case with a lot of novels and was it a publicist? And that's an interesting phrase you've chosen. Oh, sorry. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> um, have you just on this same subject, but it might seem like a subject change, it's not. Um, Mark Haddon, who wrote The Curious Incident in The Dog in the Night Time. I see that he's got another book out. He's, yeah, he's had about three or four books out since then. Since then? Oh, well, okay. At least two. He had a book called The Red House and he had um, A Spot of Bother. Oh, no, not The Red House. Sorry, that's... Um... Someone different. Uh, a Spot of Bother was his second novel. And then yeah, it's a Spot of Bother that I was thinking of. Oh, my God. Well, that is that just that... because I'm in a foreign country where these things don't come through as quickly? Hang on a minute. No, I think this was before you moved to... Um... <laughs> no, The Red House was him. It was him. Okay, I, I'm, then, I, then I'm brilliant. Okay, well, have you read either A Spot of Bother or The Red House? I No, but I, I do own A Spot of Bother, and um, I lent it to my mum because she read A Curious Incident... And she gave it back and says, oh, this is not, not really the same as the other one. It's not quite for me. There was quite a lot of um, gay sex in it. <laughs> oh. Oh, I don't Lord know if there is. Maybe, I, I mean, I can't. If there isn't any 
any gay sex in that book, then I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so... You're going to have to read it now to find out. But um, I would be very interested to see because, you know, with a book like that that is that's so tied up in, in, in the ter- like the way that he's written it, you know, whether... You, you know that. You know that ev- uh, not everyone, but a significant number of people compare Aes Vangelica to... <laughs> Um, a curious incident of the dog in the night. I love the way you said everyone. It's, a, it's, a, it's a worryingly amount of people. Yeah, I do know that. And I wonder whether that's why I, I brought that book up. Maybe. Maybe. Um, what was your point? I forgot. My point was that, that you, you've said that you can see a writer, you'd like to be able to see that there was still the voice of that writer. But with for, for me, the curious incident of the dog in the night time was so mm. specific the way it was written was so specific to that book and that story I'm not sure whether I would want to see it in another book Okay, so this is the problem that I think I'm having at the moment I think the reason that people have made that comparison between Aes Frangelica and that and the Curious Incident is because of the um, uh, the first person narrator and yeah. so um, I can't remember the years since, ago since I read it but the narrator in um, Curious Incident is a boy, you know, young boy and he's um, uh, Asperger's isn't it um, yeah. and a lot of people made that comparison because of Gordon in my novel was it's got I use you know short sentences <laughs> that sounds stupid like slightly weird behaviour but you know the the plot and everything is completely different and and I didn't I didn't really didn't have it in, in mind at all but I now that people are say have said it I can go okay I, I kind of get the comparison but it's the problem that I have with my voice I think and interestingly my answer to that question which I didn't really give yesterday is. I didn't really find my writer's voice until I wrote the character Gordon Kingdom in my book, and my, which, first, which is a first-person narrator, as I say. And it was only when I started writing in, I guess, Gordon's voice that I really discovered my own writing. And at the same time, as I said earlier, I was learning plain English for my day job, and the two things, short sentences, keeping things simple, and this particular character, the two things kind of came together to... Uh, make me just suddenly go. Well, this is it. This is how I write. This is this is me. This is this is who I am as a writer, almost. But I have and to you say, get a sense that that's how, like, that you're going to take that forward to the next book. No, I, no, not necessarily. But I, I, I think that. Well, uh, yes, in some ways, but obviously, Gordon Kingdom isn't going to be the narrator in the in the second novel, so. So it's not going to be the same, but it's still me that's oh. writing it. So in terms of. You know, the, hopefully the overall kind of voice will still be there, but it is quite difficult to kind of to uh, to 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 know how to to move on from someone from from a first person narrative that's, I guess, so strongly first person, which doesn't make much sense. But I hope you know what I mean. Um, to I then do. to then but move I guess, on. I, well, first of all, I can I, I can see the association, but I just I totally didn't. Um, put the two books together I can you know the first person all that but is they're just such different books really mm. to me just to say that um but I can imagine like it, I would be surprised if your second book was kind of like like something John Bamber would have written with like you know mm. sentences that were half a page that would surprise me it, uh, yeah and it won't be exactly that's kind of my point so my, my voice I think includes short staccato like sentence and rhythm and and that kind of thing yeah but it doesn't necessarily mean that my voice includes being a middle-aged man who has a wife who's ill etc but do you do you not think then that that writers can have different voices for different projects 
No, but not not. I mean, I guess well, yes, in the sense that inevitably, if you're talk, if you're writing about different subjects, then things will sound different, and if you write different first person narratives, then it will be slightly different because it's a different person that you're being. But I think there is such a thing as an overall voice, and I know that it may sound slightly s- stupid, but I know that my emails, in some way, like if I, most of my emails are fairly stupid that I send unless I'm at work, and even then, sometimes stupid. And I think in some ways there is a lineage, there is there is a a kind of, um, I don't know, a connection between me writing emails, me writing blog posts, and and me writing fiction, or song lyrics even. I mean, there's uh, even that ridiculous <laughs> song that I read out earlier and, and embarrassingly slightly sang, although that's, that's debatable. Um, um, even that you can there's, there is some of that nonsense in in the book in, in, in Ace Frangelica I do think there is such a thing as an overall voice but the question the question was how do you know when you found your voice so for me it was when I wrote I, there was a moment I guess when I wrote that first person narrator and I was doing the play in English and I realised but what about you was the, the so there was a moment for me was there a moment for you when you suddenly everything sort of clicked and you go okay well this is this is me this is what I do this is my voice I think, yeah, after I'd got a good crop of poems together that I felt were, you know, more serious poems, I started to see a really strong connection between them. And I I don't know how many poems I had, but I guess once I'd had maybe five or six published different places, I could see the kind of poems that people liked and I could see what they were wanting from me as well. Um, I'd say that's probably when... But it's, you know, I mean, it's a really interesting question, I think. And it's also made me think, I mean, we won't answer this now, obviously, but I've been wondering then whether you could think, uh, how many authors can you think of whose second book was, like, better than their first? Like, that they found their footing in their second book rather than their first one? Because that thing about finding a voice, you, I don't know, it's, I just, I feel, like, yeah, doesn't always necessarily have to happen in the first book, does it? No, not at all. And I would be massively disappointed if my second book wasn't as good or didn't have, you know, wasn't as distinctive or interesting as as my first one. The, the whole idea, I think, is to get better. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I mean, if you have like, a, if you, some people have like, first books that are so difficult to follow, don't you think? I mean, I'm actually also still maybe thinking about Mark Haddon. I haven't read his other books, but they certainly haven't had the same, made the same splashes as first one, have they? No, that I guess I guess that that's true. There's there's an element of well, if you think music wise, if you think of the Arctic Monkeys, perhaps they now have six, five, five, five albums, and the last one that's just come out is amazing. And of course, they are like a, still a huge band, but they, they 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 people still talk about the first album. They still talk about you know Mardi Bum and um, yeah, yeah, and the rest. <laughs> yeah, because it was so distinctive. Well, it's impact, isn't it? When you're when you're new, you have some sort of impact. When your voice lands and hits people for the first time, there is impact. But then you, you your voice develops and 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 changes. And I suppose in some ways, it's less interesting. But that's why then maybe it's vital to um, to make changes to the way that you are, or, or to you know, that having the same voice throughout your your career would be a bit dangerous. Indeed, it'd probably be interesting. We don't have the opportunity to do this, but to listen to have the opinions of a, an agent or a publisher or something like that, to um, who who obviously see a writer and work with them as they develop and change yeah. over time. 
but, um, yeah. but we haven't got one, so. <laughs> Don't. Oh, I think I think we're just about at time, so we've only got time for one listener's question this week. But if you would like us to, and Dan, Dan, uh, I hope that that Dan. was Dan. That was a bit Alan Partridge, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Alan, uh, Alan, Dan, I um, I hope that answered your question and uh, slightly better than I did yesterday. And listeners, if you have a question that you would like us to tackle um uh, uh in the latter stages of uh, next week's podcast or even the one after that then do get in touch and um and we will endeavor to do so and you can get in touch with us by the following means um twitter at the flying poet and you're at ian broom aren't you i am yeah and you've uh, got your website yeah if you want to listen to previous episodes of the podcast you can go to ianbroom.com slash podcast nice. or if you want to go and find out more about your poetry, we're doing this in a weird way as well. <laughs> Just like testing out new ways to do it. Or, yeah, I've got a website, sorensonpoetry.com. Marvellous. And that's it. We shall speak to you next week. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye.